Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another episode of the TSN MMA Show interview edition. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a lot of interviews to get to today. And, uh, of course, I always appreciate you tuning in. A lot of uh, big news in the world of mixed martial arts. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, trilogy fight has been announced. If you want to hear about all of those topics and more, myself, Bazooka Joe, we did our podcast for the week, and you can check all of that out. But this episode, of course, is uh, based on interviews. Lots of interviews that have been done this week, including the two main adventures for this weekend's cards. You've got Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, facing off a fight that was supposed to happen some years back, finally happens, and uh, here we are. Leading, leading up to this particular fight, I can't wait for this one. I think that the winner of this fight is next in line for the middleweight championship of the world. Good for Kelvin Gastelum because, uh, you know, he didn't have the best 2020. Now he's right back in the, on the saddle and uh, back in the driver's seat, potentially working his way back to a rematch against Israel Adesonia. Whitaker also looking for the same thing. So uh, big stakes this weekend. They're both going to be joining us. Also on that card, Gerald Mearshart. He'll join the show. Lots to talk about with Gerald Mearshart. Always love speaking with him. He's going to be in a, a very important fight for him against Bartosz Fabinski. Has a baby boy on the way, so congrats to uh, the Mearshart family. We'll also be joined by Ali Abdelaziz, one of the uh, the top agents in mixed martial arts, perhaps the top agent in mixed martial arts, or manager, I guess, is uh, usually the term that is used. Represents the likes of Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje, Kamaru Usman, Henry Cejudo. The list goes on and on. And uh, another person on that list, of course, is Kayla Harrison, who will also join us on the show. Uh, millionaire from uh, the PFL, champion of the women's uh, lightweight division, and she's in a tournament once more. Love speaking with Kayla Harrison. Very, very uh, honest opinions uh, on everything, and uh, just just fantastic to uh, to speak with and uh, and learn about as she works towards becoming one of the best female mixed martial artists of all time, certainly one of the most dominant to date, and uh, her career is, uh, I, I feel like, is just starting to get uh, ramped up. So looking to take home another million dollars from the PFL this year. So let's start with Robert Whitaker, followed by Kelvin Gastelum, Kayla Harrison, Ali Abdelaziz, and I'll give you a little bit of a, a disclaimer with Ali. Uh, there was a bit of an echo on my end, so I apologize in advance for that, but the, uh, the interview should be uh, fine to listen to. And uh, Gerald Mearshart rounding out the show. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, enjoy all of these interviews on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. First, Robert Whitaker. I'm now joined by Robert the Reaper Whitaker. Rob, uh, before we get started talking about the fight game, uh, big addition to your family, your third son, Jace, born in January. How's, uh, how's that been and how's he doing? Uh, he's very happy and healthy. You know, that's, uh, that's all you can ask for, really. I was, uh, you know, I was very privileged to, to be there and to, to experience all that, have that time with him. But here I am, back to work. Yes, absolutely, and I know that uh, traveling from home is, uh, you know, not necessarily your 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 cup of tea. You're you're a, a creature comfort uh, type guy, and you also have something in common with me. You don't like when things are sprung on you last minute. And of course, there was a change of opponents a few weeks back. When you heard that news, how did you react? And um, how long did it take for you to accept that? Yeah, you know, I don't change very well, so I was upset at first. This was the time I wanted to fight. I was fit. I was healthy. And we still had a month to adjust. So it's, uh, you know, it was a good time for me to fight. I'm glad and I'm grateful that I was still able to fight. All right. Well, that's great news. Of course, uh, your opponent now, Kelvin Gastelum, somebody that you've prepared for in the past. How much do you think he's grown since your, your first fight? 
that you were supposed to have with him. When you, when you see him recently against Ian Heinish, for example, his most recent win, what do you take from that? You know, I, I certainly think he has grown. He, uh, he seems to be smarter. He seems to have uh, more confidence in like taking the fight in a different direction than, than he used to. Uh, you know, I think I think that just comes from experience and having some hard fights and some hard losses. It seems like you've changed quite a bit since then as well. Would you agree with that? Just in terms of your fighting style, uh, in terms of how you approach the game. Yeah, certainly, I've definitely changed. I, I am a night and day different fighter than when he was preparing me f- for me for the first time, and uh, you know, I look forward to getting out there and just uh, having some fun. Yeah, that was the the old Whitaker, the one that. Uh, uh, trained like crazy, put too much pressure on himself. You've eased that up a little bit. Does that make you a lot happier? And it, is a happier Robert Whitaker better than you know a Robert Whitaker that's really been run through the uh, the ringer? The happy Robert Whitaker is the most dangerous one. Let me tell you that. Expand on that. Why is that? It's just uh, you know when I'm happy and when everything's balanced. I guess I just. It, everything just comes easier. Nothing is a punish. Nothing is a struggle. So, like, I'm enjoying fight week. I'm enjoying being here. I'm in, I'm enjoying the process. I, I I look forward to little things that that come before and after weigh-in and before and after the fight. I you know, and um, it just allows me to do what I do more freely. What are some of those things? The little things that you look forward to now that perhaps you didn't in the past. I, it wasn't. It wasn't so much that i i didn't enjoy it it's just i didn't i didn't try to make it positive so it made it just made everything harder to do you know if you t- if, if you tell yourself you you know you, you don't want to train you know you 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 don't want to go to the gym or you, you don't want to diet you're never going to be able to diet and if you do not for long because you're just making it so much harder than it is yeah you know another champion uh, from the same country as yourself, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. I heard him tell a story once that he went to the, drove to the gym once, parked his car, and sat outside in his car and just thought about it and said, yeah, I, I'm just not going to go in today. And uh, he, he wasn't sure if he was going to resume his career because at that point he had just kind of, he had, I guess it was a kind of a breaking point for him. And his coach called him and said, what's going on? And then he kind of suddenly clicked with him and he said, you know what? Uh, you know, yesterday I just, I, I thought that I was going to be done. I need to just turn it around. And did you have any days like that? Any days where perhaps you, you drove to practice and you were like, what am I doing here? Not the practice, but I, I certainly had days where, you know, that's why I had that break before I fought chill. Was, uh, I needed to just collect myself and, and find out what I wanted to do and, and how I wanted to do it from here on out. Was there a time during that duration where you were taking time away where you thought about maybe this isn't for me? It's not that I put in my head that I wasn't going to do to do this. When I when I took my break, I I cleared the timeline, the schedule, the calendar of everything. I didn't know whether I'd come back or if I would. You know, I I, I didn't I didn't have any expectations. I didn't have an end date, an end goal. I was just about finding what I wanted to do and what made me happy. Is that easier when you're not the champion anymore? When the expectation of having to defend the title is gone? Oh well, it's uh, yeah, massively. It, it frees up your, your schedule. It frees up your calendar. So it really, realistically, you can't do that when you're the champ unless you wanted to concede the belt. Now you were scheduled to fight uh, Kelvin Gastelum once in the past. Now I know we all have bad days, but the day of that fight where you had a medical emergency and had to pull out hours before the fight, where does that rank in terms of the worst days of your life? 
I, it's, it is what it is. I've had worse days, <laughs> you know, but it sucks. It really does. But, you know, look at the silver lining. I'm very grateful that we managed to get onto, you know, my twisted bell when we did. Otherwise, you know, I would have permanent repercussions. So when you're face-to-face with Kelvin Gaslam, do you think there's going to be an element of PTSD where, where you think back to what happened that day? Nah, not at all. You know, it's just going to be finally here. <laughs> so was that, was that an opponent that you really looked forward to facing back then? I don't look forward to fighting anybody. It's, it's, it's one of those things, like, this is what I do, but it's not something you're like, <laughs> you wake up in the morning and can't wait to jump to it. It's, uh, it's combat, you know, it's, it's kind of hard. <laughs> Right, yeah, and I've heard you say that you take some of that pressure off of yourself, that uh, when you have a bout scheduled, you only think about it basically the day of the fight, when you, when you think about that particular opponent. Is that holding true right now as well? Yeah, 100%, because, you know, if I, if I think about fighting the entire time, I'm, you know, it'll, it'll drive me crazy. So I, I distract myself a lot, when, especially because I'm, I've, I've left my comfort zone. I'm not at my house. I'm not in my country. I don't have my wife and my kids. So it, it's, it's, it's very much about distracting myself, you know, trying to enjoy it as much as I can until the fight. And then when the fight comes around, now's the time I'm going to be uncomfortable and it's time to get to work. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, so when you're, what do you do to distract yourself right now? What games are you playing or, or anything along those lines that's, that's helping you take your, your mind off of the fight? Yeah, I'm just farming in Fallout 76, you know, having a great, great, great time in that, playing with some friends as well, and uh, just cruising, you know what I mean, reading some books. What kind of books are you reading? I read sci-fi fiction, so fantasy fiction as well, so those sort of books. Is there any sort of series that you like in particular? Uh, there is a series called Cradle. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable book. Now, one thing that you do, a trademark of yours, is you pound your chest after a win. I recently found out that that's mm. a way of your, you saying hello to your dad. How did you come up with that? Uh, it was kind of he kind of came up with it. He goes, just tap your chest when you when you thinking um tap your chest when you're in there, and I'll know you're thinking of me. And uh, it, that's how I started, and then it became a habit, and now it's just kind of what I do. So, is that the first thing you think about after a win? Is your dad? Nah, not necessarily. <laughs> it's uh, it's um. Yeah, not necessarily. Because it seems like that's when you do it. You celebrate briefly and then you start pounding your chest. But like I said, it's become like a trademark sort of habit of mine. It's kind of what I do now. How have your motivations changed? When you won the Ultimate Fighter, you were, you were new to the UFC. Compared to where they are today, how, how would you say that you've changed from then to now? Uh, night and day. You know, it's like almost 10 years of, uh, of change and evolution. It's, uh, and then kids, you know, kids change the game once you have them. Everyone who's had them knows. So uh, I guess for me, I'm, I'm a completely different motivated beast than I was when I was younger. I, uh, I am more motivated than I've ever been to do what I do and to do it well. You've said also uh, that being the champion doesn't mean much more to you than, I guess, you know, a better financial stability, a better payday. When did that happen? When, when, when did you realize that that was the motivating factor for being the champion? When I had kids, really, because you know, I want to provide for them. I want, I want to set them up. I want to, uh, you know, that, that, that's why I do things. That's why I push. That's why I make myself uncomfortable. It's because I want to... You know, I assure the future of my kids uh, so they have, have everything they ever need. 
So early on, how much ego was involved compared to now? Because ego can be a good thing and a bad thing. You know, when you're young and you're focused on ego, it can really push you. Uh, but as you get older, it probably becomes tiresome. I think, I think when, I, when I was younger, it wasn't so much ego as identity is. It was kind of an identity thing. But um, yeah, it's, it's night and day. It really is. So with you doing everything for your kids now, for the most part, and that's your main motivation, how much does legacy matter to you going forward? I don't think of legacy because it's something that'll just happen anyway. It's it's not something I need to go out and create. It's I'm creating it every day. <laughs> All right, so let's say you're the champion at 185 again, and the UFC calls and says, we want you to fight one of the champions. It's either going to be the champion at 170 pounds or the champion at 205 pounds. You've you got to pick one. You've got to cut a, a massive amount of weight to weight, make 170. You've done, you've done it before. Or you've got to be at a big weight disadvantage at 205. If you had to pick just one of those two divisions, which one would it be? 205, without a doubt. <laughs> would a cut down to 170 be basically without, you know, outside the realm of possibility right now? Or is it just one of those Impossible. things where you want to endanger yourself? Impossible. Impossible. So, so what do you walk around at then? Oh, it's hard to say. Like outside of camp? Yeah. Maybe, I don't know, 220? Okay, so yeah, so yeah, that, that's probably not not in the cards than 100. We've seen guys like yeah. uh, Anthony Johnson uh, back in the day cut down to 170. And you see what the guy looks like now. It seems like it was impossible. Uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty crazy. So uh, another thing when you travel for these fights, like we talked about earlier, it kind of takes you outside of your comfort zone. You're, you're kind of a reserved and shy person. Do you have any friends outside of the guys that you train with that are in the UFC that you call, that you chat with uh, from time to time just on a friendly basis? No, 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 not really. Like I'm mates with a bunch of guys, but like, no, I don't call them on a friend on a, on a, on a like a day-to-day basis. I'm not, I'm not close to anyone like that um, in the game, I guess. But I, like I said, I play a lot of video games, so I speak to my friends every day, like uh, online. Like, who are your best friends? Where did you meet them? Are they from high school or anything along those lines? No, no. So I, my best mates are back in back in Sydney, and they're they they guys I met through people. It's it's funny how that works. Uh, in another interview I heard of yours, you, you talked about how after your career, when you retired, you want to do this thing in media, thing along those lines. If you could have a dream job after you, re- you retire from MMA, something that you think you would have a lot of fun doing, what would that be? Ah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It, it, it is too hard to say. Like, um, I think media would be a good direction because I have the skill sets to, 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 to do that job well. And, um, but... I've always wanted to own a cafe, you know, so that's, that's very a real thing. So if you owned a cafe, what's your specialty? Do you, <clears throat> what do you like, coffee, baking? What, what would you want to serve in this cafe, and what would make it different than other cafes? Coffee and pastries. I like pastries too. <laughs> so do you drink a, co- a cup of coffee every morning? Is that part of your routine? Every morning. Every morning. How do you drink it, black? Nah, a bit of skim milk in there. Yeah, do you, do you have the flat white? Flat whites have been we've been, we've bogarted the flat white here in North America. Oh really? No, the yeah, if I, I like a flat white. I do when I'm when I'm not in camp. I have flat whites. I mean, so forget retirement. You just turned thirty. Uh, do you feel like you've even hit your prime yet? Let, let's let's talk about current Robert Whitaker. Uh, so I'm in a funny stage where my I feel my prime is starting to 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 creep up closer. I feel my prime is going to be roughly around thirty two, thirty three. But uh, right now, I'm definitely in another stage of my life and career where you know, I'm a very dangerous fighter. 
It's pretty interesting. Like you were a champion so young into your career. And before you kind of made that realization that you needed to change things and fine tune things. Uh, I still feel like the best is yet to come for you. I really appreciate your time, Robert. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Kelvin Gastelum in the main event. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Always good to speak to you. I'm now joined by Kelvin Gastelum. He finally gets to face Robert Whitaker, a fight that was meant to happen uh, several years ago, now coming to fruition. And the first thing I asked you when we got started was, you must be at home. You've got Kobe jerseys hanging up in the background, but you brought a piece <laughs> of home with you. I brought a piece of home with me. I brought uh, a couple items. Just whenever I travel, I like to kind of make my own space and kind of feel like I'm at home, you know, kind of really settle down. And um, that's how I feel, man. I feel relaxed. I feel calm. I feel like I'm at home, you know, chilling. And and, and I brought the Kobe Bryant jerseys just because, you know, I like to keep that Mamba mentality throughout the whole week. And it's just a simple little reminder every time I wake up. Yeah, I like that. I think that that's it's smart to bring something from home with you to, to give yourself that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel comfortable. You know, if you feel comfortable, you feel relaxed. And if you're relaxed, then, you know, I feel like I, I go through my days a lot better. I, I do a lot better in, in anything that might come up. Man, what a different difference a year makes. Uh, you know, t obviously 2020 wasn't a great year for you. Now you, you've bounced back. You have the win over Heinish. And uh, now right away, you're right back in the title picture. Uh, how does that feel to, to know that you're potentially one went away from getting, uh, you know, a title shot that I think probably before the Heinish fight, you didn't think was going to be uh, that, that close. Right. You know, I had set up a, a plan for me to, you know, a 12 month plan to kind of get back to where I was, but that 12 month plan kind of got reduced to five months and uh, I'm, I'm right where I want to be, you know? Um, yeah. I couldn't be more grateful and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the most out of this opportunity. I spoke to your training partner last week, Marvin Vittori, and I said, it must be a little bit weird between the two of you that you're both kind of angling for a title shot in the same division right now. And he said, well, you know, it's good because I'm me. I'm Marvin Vittori. I'm, you know, incredibly emotional, very passionate. And Kelvin's super laid back. He goes, there can't be two Marvin Vittoris in the gym. But Kelvin and I, you know, we kind of have a good understanding and relationship. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, um... Yeah, he's a cool dude. We kind of feed off each other a little bit sometimes. We tra we train together. We make each other better. And um, yeah, man, he's he. I I I, uh, I have a lot of admiration for Marvin. You know, he's a workhorse. And uh, you know, there's there's no one. There's almost nobody in the gym that works as hard as he does. And I'm really happy to see what he's been doing with his career. And uh, man, I'm excited. Yeah, you know, it's funny. He said. Uh... There could never be two Marvin Vittori's in the gym. He said he wouldn't get along with himself if there was another Marvin in the gym. <laughs> yeah, Marvin. Marvin likes to. Yeah, he's uh, he's a little not a little bit more obnoxious than 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 I am. You know, he's a little bit more outspoken than I am, and uh, I can see why he would say that. You know, his last loss was against Israel. How much do you think he's grown since then? Because to me, he looks like a, a much much better fighter than than back then. Oh, 100%. I mean, this guy doesn't, like I said, he doesn't stop working. He doesn't stop improving. He's obsessed of and improving. You know, whenever something doesn't go his way, he immediately addresses it. He immediately wants to work on it. And, and uh, you know, he's just a completely obsessed animal right now. And it's very admirable to watch, you know, because it, it gets me hungry as well. Do you think he needs another win, though? Do you think that he's that yourself and Rob is going to be the fight that determines the next title challenger? 
I feel like if if I will not if when I win this fight, you know, people wouldn't mind seeing part two of me and Izzy. But I feel like Marvin has done enough to earn that title shot himself. Now, I asked Rob this question earlier in the week. Obviously, the day that you guys were supposed to fight, he had to pull out due to a medical emergency. And I said, it's probably among the worst days of your life. And I imagine for you, it's probably just as bad. Because even though you didn't have a medical emergency, you still have to travel halfway around the world in order to get to Australia. At least he's in his backyard. Do you have a little, <laughs> right. do you have a little bit of PTSD knowing you're going to be standing across from the guy and remembering what happened that last time? No, you know, the past is the past. Things happen, and I'm grateful that he was able to get healthy and uh, nothing happened that night to him. You know, I feel like uh, maybe what if he would have gone into the fight with that injury? It would have been fatal, possibly, you know, and so I'm glad that none of that ever happened, and I understand that things happen in life, and it is what it is, man. Now now we're scheduled to fight again, and and uh, it's something that I've been waiting for a long time. And so here it is, man. I'm going to make the most out of it. See, this is why you and Marvin get along. Marvin was driven to the hospital and waited for him to leave. And, and, uh, and <laughs> yelled at him in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he's a little bit more outspoken than I am. And uh, I'm more, more, a lot more laid back. So uh, with, with Whitaker, I imagine you had a game plan the last time you guys fought, but I feel like Whitaker has changed a lot as a fighter since that last time. And I know that he had to take a lot of steps in his personal life and his, the way that he trained in order to kind of transform into the Robert Whitaker we see now. What do you think is different about this Robert Whitaker? Yeah, ultimately, I think he's gotten better, you know, and, and so have I. But at the core of him, I think the foundation of him, kind of the same. Same with me, though. You know, the things that we're good at, we've gotten better at it. The things that we've needed to work on, we've worked on and gotten better at that, too. And so, but at the core, at the foundation, I, I feel it's still the same. Uh, we went back and looked up at the, the videos that we, you know, of us training, preparing for Rob Whitaker back in 2019. And we were kind of picked up from there, to be honest. We kind of picked up from, from the training uh, from back in 2019. We picked it up right where we left off. We continued the strategies. We continued the game planning. Uh, and obviously some small modifications because, you know, I don't expect him to be the same fighter he was two years ago. But like I said, the core, the foundation of it, of him, of who he is as a fighter, I believe is still very much the same. As we mentioned off the top, you kind of had a 12-month plan and then it got fast-tracked now. I'd love to hear how you felt when you got the phone call that this fight was going to be made available to you, uh, what was going through your mind, and then when you found out uh, that Rob had accepted it, how, how you reacted as well. I mean, I was excited. I was excited, but I knew that I had a lot of work to do. Um, you know, cause obviously I was training, but I wasn't training for a fight. You know, I was just training kind of once a day, you know, usually I train two or three, three times a day when I'm in camp. So I wasn't training like I was in training camp. I just knew that I had to get back on the horse and just, just kind of grind for the next few weeks and, and prepare for this fight as much as I can. Is this the most short notice opponent you've, you've had uh, in the past or, or I guess the, the, the least amount of training time you've had for an opponent? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is, you know, four weeks. But, uh, you know, I just, like I said, I wasn't training like I was in training camp, but I was still training. Uh, it's just not the same same levels, you know. Um, once you're in training camp, you just kind of pick it up mentally, physically. Uh, in every aspect, when you're in camp, it's just another level of training. How hard is it to not overcompensate? Because I'm sure that you had a lot of catching up to you to do mentally. 
Yeah, mentally and physically, you know. But um, at this point of the game, I know uh, I know what I needed to do, and I just stuck my nose to the ground and went to work. Who do you think are the upper echelon middleweights? Like, if you were to just say, if you were to separate it by tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three, how would you separate the top guys right now at middleweight? Yeah, definitely Rob's in there, Paulo Costa, Izzy, Marvin, you know, and um, I would say those are the top guys right now. So, so where are guys like Brunson? Is he catching up? Kevin Holland, I know, has uh, has lost two in a row, but uh, you know, he's a guy that's on the rise as well. Yeah, you know what? Um, Brunson, Brunson's up there too. I feel like maybe he hasn't had the opportunity to fight these higher profile fights, and maybe he he needs one or two of those. What did you learn from the fight between Israel and Jan? I mean, I I know you and Jan are very different uh, physical body types. But uh, I'm sure that there were some lessons that you were able to take from that fight. Well, I think the the size advantage played a huge factor. And obviously, the the, the takedowns kind of were, I think, what won John the the rounds. Um, You know, but I was was wrong in my prediction. I thought uh, Izzy was going to run through him, to be honest. But uh, you know what? John, to my surprise, is is a lot better than, than what I thought. You know, he's got my respects as a champion and as a fighter. Um, I just thought that Izzy was going to kind of make it look easy just based on his past performances. But, um, yeah, it, it is what it is. Of all your previous fights, is that the one you want back the most, the one, the one with Israel? Um, I want it back just because I want to fight for the title. Um you know, and I think uh, people people wouldn't mind seeing part two of that of that uh, fight of the year. But when you think back on your actual fights and your and some of your losses, is there one where you're like, I, I shouldn't have lost that fight. I, if I could go back, I want to do that one over, regardless of title. Um, definitely the Jack Hermanson fight. I feel like I I, I wasn't able to display how good I actually am uh, in that fight. You know, I got submitted in like 40 seconds. I would love to have that fight. I also feel the same way about the fight with Derek Till. Um, I just I just know how much better I can do, how much better I know that I can perform, and I did not perform up to my expectations in those fights. You know, it's funny. This is the weird thing about you, uh, Kelvin, is you're still a young guy, and you're still the same fighter that you were before. The Till fight was super close. The, the Jack fight, I mean, that was kind of a, a thing where you got caught and it, something that, you, you know, if you were able to go back and change that, you probably could. But I, I feel like you're still the same fighter. You look great against Ian Heinish. And if you're the same guy, you're still a top two, top three guy at middleweight, potentially championship caliber. Do you feel like people are, are forgetting how good you are? Um, I don't know. I don't know if people are forgetting. I think people, the, the five fans that know who I am, I think know what I bring to the table. And they know that when I'm on my A game, then I can, I can do some pretty spectacular things. Yeah, because I look at the odds, and they're, they're a lot further than they were the last time you were lined up against Robert Whitaker. And then I feel like people just look at recent, like I guess it's just fully recency bias, I would imagine. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I, I'm just coming off one win, you know, and, 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 f- and fairly so. Uh, the, the, the odds are what they are. And, uh, but you know what? I don't, I don't really pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, I know how good I am. I know how, what I can do. I know my abilities, and I, I know that I can, I can beat Rob. 
Uh, we look forward to seeing it this weekend. It's yourself, Robert Whitaker, in the main event. Uh, you're, you're one step away, I think, from, the, from a title shot with a win here. And it's great to see you back in this position. Thanks for doing this, Calvin. Thank you, my man. Appreciate that. Pleased to be joined now by Ali Abdelaziz, who represents many of the best mixed martial artists. He's the founder and president of Dominance Mixed Martial Arts. And perhaps the biggest name that you represent is uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, who decided to walk away from the game last year. I was wondering, did you have a chance to talk to him after he announced his retirement? And was there ever a chance that he was actually going to come back? No, I, I think he made up his mind. And Khabib, Khabib, he's the type of person, he make up his mind, you can't really uh, switch him, you know. And I think... He did everything he have done. He gave us great moment. He gave us great sound bite in the sport. And I think it was time for him to go. And, and you know, he promised, you know, his mother, he, he fulfilled it. And nobody want to break a promise to their mother. And um, and I think uh, I, I'm at peace with that. I'm at peace with that. He's at peace with that. And I think uh, when we met Dana, I think Dana was at peace with it. And I showed him great for support. And it was awesome, actually. I have to say this. I think the best relationship between a fighter promoter it was dana white and khabib they, they had the best uh, synergy and it was it was awesome uh, the amount of support and they both of us and respect to each other and i think khabib you know he, he, he gonna go down to history is the greatest mixed martial artist we've ever seen the pound for pound the best we've ever seen won every round never lost never drug test failure never miss whereabout like He's just that, you know, as perfect as they come. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and I'm grateful as a fan and as a friend and as a manager for him as a human being also. How big of a deal was it for him to fill his father's footsteps? He's doing a great job coaching right now, and it seems like that was very important to him. Yeah, man, he was here, he was here for, uh, for the last month and a half, and uh, I was going to help him a little bit with him. And, and I see uh, the type of discipline he brings. Of course, was uh, Javier Mendez. He's the head coach. Khabib will always give him that out of respect. Um, and, and of course, Javier is a great coach also. Uh, he just, you know, you have to be disciplined. You know, he's not going to make you quit. He's not going to make you come late a couple minutes. He's, you know, if, if you come late five minutes, he's going to lock the door. You're not going to come in. You're going to go home, you know. And this is the style of discipline. I think um, mixed martial arts is kind of uh, missing a little bit to become a really professional sport, right? And I think he... He brings this to the table. He brings this to the table. Let's shift gears to the welterweight champion of the world, Kamaru Usman. Now, I want you to take your clients out of this because I know Vicente Luque is great. Gilbert Burns is great. But outside of your clients, who do you think poses the biggest threat to Kamaru Usman? Who's the best challenger for him at the welterweight division? Listen, I, I, I thought Gilbert was, was his toughest fight. I, I really did. And, you know, listen, at the end of the day, I have my... My client, they're gonna fight each other because I represent some of the best fighters in the world, and I put them in a position. They put themselves in a position to fight for the title, right? And I think, I think Gilbert was his most dangerous fight, and you know, Vicente is great too. At the end of the day, uh, he's like Camaro's like a marathon runner, right? He's he beat everybody in the top ten, in the top fifteen. He haven't fought some maybe Wonder Boy Thompson. But Wonder Boy have not put himself to fight for the title, right? Uh, Vicente is just coming on a great winning streak now. You might see these guys fight each other one day. And Camaro, it's, it's funny because both of them talk to each other, right? But let's talk about Camaro as, as a fighter, right? Uh, Camaro Osman, we say George St. Pierre is the greatest welterweight of all the time, right? 
Everybody say that, right? And I love George. He's my friend. I have a lot of respect for George. But I, I disagree at this point of Kamara's career. I think Kamara's career, he's on 17 fight winning streak, never lost in 10 years. He's 13 fight winning streak in the UFC. The only fight was ever close. It was him and Kobe, and he went and broke his jaw. He, he annihilated him, right? And when, it was, when you saw him, you know, George's career, like, he has some losses. He have Johnny Hendrick, Carlos Condict, you know. He looked human a little bit, right? Kamaru Usman is not looking human, as, as people think, you know. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter who he's going to fight next, right? Kamaru Usman is the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world today. Uh, he's the greatest welterweight of all the time. And I, I have material to prove that. You know, I have a 17-fight winning streak. I have his, never lost any round barely in the UFC. Maybe his whole UFC career lost four rounds, right? Uh, and I think people, I'm not going to ask you to put respect on his name because I think most people who understand fighting, they respect him, you know? But I truly believe, I can feel comfortable enough to say, He's the greatest fighter of all the uh, welterweight of all the time, and he's the pound for pound king too. Listen, when the last time we saw a champion fight in February in general round fight in April, right? You got guys that even champion like like Kobe. He's he beat Tyrone Woodley and he's sitting down. He think he's gonna get the next title shot. He's delusional, uh, ethical, like principle. This man will never get the next title shot, regardless of what everybody said, right? Because you can't just not fight and be rewarded, right? And this is thing have to change, you know. People who's active, they need to be rewarded. People that are not active, they don't need to be rewarded, right? Listen, uh, you know, Kamaru's next fight, he's just fighting an opponent. It's, it's an opponent, you know. It doesn't matter who he's going to fight. The result will be the same. I'll tell you the biggest issue with Kamaru when people look at him as being the best ever. And this is uh, a good problem to have. He was too good to get good fights early on. People didn't want to fight him. Whereas with George, the welterweight division didn't have a lot of people in it. And that's why George was able to rack up so many title defenses. The thing that stopped Kamaru from racking up title defenses is that he couldn't get ranked opponents to face him, which is what has made his resume not as good as George's to this point. Uh, I think that had he gotten a title shot sooner, he would have been the champion sooner and would have been able to rack up those wins that would make people see just how good he is. Listen, he, he still got the same amount of winning streak George have. He about to break it when he beat Masvidal. He's a lot more, he's more dominant than George. You know, listen, George is unbelievable. George lost two times in the UFC. He got finished. Kamaru never even come close to losing. You understand? And the, the, the fight he had with Kobe, he knocked him out and broke his jaw. How are you going to tell me? He, I believe he is the greatest welterweight of all the time. I believe he's the best pound-for-pound fighter today. You, you cannot be a pound-five fighter not fighting. You have to fight. You know? And sometimes this pound-for-pound wrist is crazy. How Conor McGregor still on a pound-for-pound wrist? I don't get it. And uh, as you guys, they should be on a pound-for-pound wrist, and they're not on it, right? And, uh, it, you know, it's an opinion, but when I compare numbers to numbers, Kamaru Osman is the greatest welterweight of all the time because he, he barely lost the early round, never lost in the UFC. Um, and he have as much as win as George, 13, he about to be 14, and nobody even come close in touching him. The closest we ever see him hurt in a fight was Gilbert Burns. This is fact. Nobody ever come close than Gilbert. 
And this is true fact. That's it. While we're on the subject of Kamaru against Burns, how hard is it for you to watch those fights? You got Kamaru Burns. I remember Cejudo versus Marais. Uh, these guys are like your family. How difficult is it for you to sit down and watch a fight between two of your top clients? Listen, uh, listen, I, I experience it, you know, and uh, it's difficult for me. Listen, Kamaru is one of my best friends. Don't, don't forget that. Uh, he's, he's actually my friend, you know. Henry and Marlon, like my brothers. Justin Gaethje and Khabib. And uh, I'm blessed enough to be in this position. I, I, did I like it? No. But also, I'm not the manager that's going to take away a, ch a chance from a guy. I know Tony got taken away from him in the past, right? And I'm not going to be this guy to see who's my cash cow, who bring me the most money to, to, to save him. Kamaru Osman and Gilbert Byrne and Khabiba, Justin Gaethje, they're grown men. They work all their life to, be in the, to put themselves in this opportunity. And when they fight, I'm going to be in the middle. I'm going to be fair. I'm, I'm going to do everything fair to both of them, right? I'm not going to stop being a friend to Kamaru. I'm not going to stay be a brother to Khabib. I'm not going to be a, 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 stop being loyal to Justin or to Gilbert or to Henry or Marlon. Everything is the same, you know? But, you know, the, sadly, somebody has to lose. Listen, you know, you know, the, you know somebody has to lose. And, and this is what they do, man. This is what these guys do. They, they competitors, right? You know, and they're going to compete against each other and they're going to show much respect to each other after the fight. You see Kamaru and Gilbert, you see Justin and, and, and Khabib. It was beautiful. It was beautiful how much they show out respect because I never show favoritism or I want this guy to win or I want this guy to win, right? You know, and, uh, and, and just I'm just lucky to be working with this amazing uh, athlete and amazing human being. But, you know, I believe... Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kamaru is—he's the king of the jungle right now. You know, I, I don't think anybody can can do anything to him at the moment. You know, uh, Jorge Masvidal fought himself in this, find himself in this position because Kamaru wanted him to be in this position. Kamaru put him in this position. That's it. Let's talk but about. I don't think anybody. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ali. I, I don't think anybody deserve it because, you know. Um, he beat him 50-44. Why you deserve it, right? But like I said, Kamaru is like a track runner. He's running around the track. He's overlapping everybody, right? And, uh, you know, and, and I see Masvidal out there. He tried to hide the fight, and he says a coward. How are you going to tell the man is a coward? And he's giving you an opportunity. He put in food on your table. Uh, because realistically, you don't deserve it. None of this guy deserves a title shot. None of them. You know, but he guy who brings a lot of eyeballs. Who, he's a superstar. I, I'm not going to take this away from him. He's a good fighter. He's not a great fighter. Kamaru Usman is a great fighter. Henry Shahur is a great fighter. Khabib Nurmagomedov is a great fighter. It's certain kind of a, a good fighter and a great fighter, right? And, uh, and I don't think anybody should call Kamaru as a coward, right? If anybody out there, I'm going to be like, he's not a coward, Kamaru. In, in a cage, in the street, in anywhere, this man is a real man. And uh, he's giving you an opportunity to fight, right? You want to promote the fight? Say whatever you want. Just don't don't say he's he's a coward. You know, he's he's a coward. Uh, because Kamaru is the farthest thing from being a coward. So how much of that fight is about money? Because if you look at Masvidal, like you said, it was fifty forty four last time around. Is one of the reasons why he calls out Masvidal because a he wants to get a finish in that fight, or is it also because b it brings it brings him a lot of money? It's a, a good financial proposition for Kamaru. Listen. Masvidal, 
he is three and three in his last six. This is fact, right? But Masvidal, he find a way to become a superstar. He, the man is a superstar. He is. He brings eyeball, right? But also, Camaro really truly believe with Trevor Woodman and the improve they did, they feel they can go out there and put him away, right? I think the biggest fight to make is Masvidal versus Camaro. He bring in a lot of eyeballs. 15,000 seat arena. Listen, he have a built-in excuse. He said, I took the fight on uh, six days notice. I cut 20 pounds in six days. Let's give the man a shot, right? But realistically, he's there because Camaro put him there. I was in the room with Dana and Camaro and they talked. Camaro put him there. And Dana blessed him. Bless it. And I, they know I think Kamaru is the greatest welterweight of all the time. And I, I do not respect anyone in the sport opinion more than Dana White. You can ask him this week or next week. He, he, he think he is, and I think he is too. Masvidal is there to put on a great show for the fan, but we know what's going to happen. The oddmaker know what's going to happen. Uh, the fan know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. He's going to go out there and and I'm not going to put pressure on Kamaru said he has to finish him. He doesn't have to do nothing. He has to go out there and just do what he does the, the best, dominate people from beginning to end. That's it. You mentioned he's training now with Trevor Whitman. Also training with Trevor Whitman, of course, is Justin Gaethje. What happened with Justin Gaethje? Because you got Chandler and Oliveira now. And it looked like two of the three people, Chandler, Oliveira, and Justin Gaethje, were going to fight for the title. Justin ends up being the odd man out. Where is he at right now? Is he going to take another fight, or is he going to wait and see what happens in that fight? Listen, the talk was Justin fighting Oliveira and, uh, and Dustin fighting, uh, uh, sorry, Dustin fight Oliveira, Justin fight uh, Chandler. Somehow, you know, Dustin Poirier chose to fight for the money and I don't blame him at all. And, you know, and uh, Chandler jumped in because, you know, Khabib beat everybody, right? And if you, this is two guys never fought Khabib, uh, Oliveira and Chandler, right? Did Chandler deserve a title shot? Absolutely not. I think he's not even in the top five. He just got, was, was Hooker, caught him, did a good job, but realistically, he did not deserve a title shot. This is the UFC decision, but also as a promoter, is a mystique about the UFC title, right? If you put Justin in there and he win, he's the guy who just lost to Khabib. But uh, Chandler... And Oliveira never fought Khabib, you know. Listen, Chandler can be flatter. He got the title shot, but realistically, he's putting in there just an illusion for people said, wow, this guy's never fought Khabib, right? But realistically, he should not get the title shot, but it's a business move and it's a great business move. If I was the promoter, this is the way I'm going to think. I don't agree with it. I think Justin should get the title shot, but we just got to, you know, see what's next for Justin, you know. And I know a lot of guys out there calling Justin out. You can't be away from the title, lightweight division for four or five years and, and call Justin out. You just can't, right? And this is something me and Sean Shelby, the matchmaker, is going to uh, work on it. And I'm sure Justin will fight soon, but it has to be the right fight. Uh, the UFC, of course, have to agree to it. I have, we have to agree to it. And we always come to agreement because... Our business always behind closed door, and and we always do good business, and that's it.
But does that fight exist right now? Because if you look down the lightweight rankings, I don't see a good fit for Justin. That's something that's going to help his career. There's not really a lot of guys available right now to fight. And I don't think, see anything that really would, would entice Justin to take the fight. I, I wouldn't blame Justin if he sat and waited for the title shot. Listen, you know, it's a business about making money and, and, and staying active, right? I'm, I never encourage a fighter to sit around. Like Alabama, right? He fought Benil. He signed an autograph uh, contract, signed Benil. He said he had family problem. said, okay. Soon as Benil signed a bad agreement with Tony Ferguson, he said he's ready to fight, right? He's supposed to fight Chandler. He said, no. That means he held for almost six, seven months, but he got a title shot, right? And I, I think this have to stop guys who say no to fight. They should not be rewarded. But did he, he deserve a title shot? I think he does. Oliver, I think he does. But did I like what he did? No. But I think he deserved it more than Chandler. PFL season is about to get started. I know Kayla Harrison is the, probably the biggest star in the PFL. The UFC have not yet closed down the 145-pound division. Do you think that they're keeping it around in the hopes that they can bring Kayla Harrison on board at the end of the year when her contract with PFL expires? Listen, Kayla have a season. She has to go dominate every girl out there, and she will. I believe she's pound for pound best fighter in the world today, and people are going to think I'm crazy. I see Kayla beating up grown men in the gym. Guys who's a UFC fighter, Bella two fighters. And you cannot tell me she cannot beat anybody. I believe she can beat anybody. She made the 145 division in, uh, with, uh, and uh, it was easy. And uh, people before said she cannot make 145. She showed you she can, right? Now she have a PFL tournament. She have to cash out all her checks, and after they were going to figure out what she going to do, you know? Uh, She's she going to become a free agent after the season. And uh, listen, uh, she's a PFL fighter right now. This is all I care about. Doesn't matter about anybody else. She's a PFL fighter. We show them the respect they deserve. And, uh, and uh, we show them the respect they deserve, and we'll move on. She's going to win the season, and I had predicted she's going to dominate everybody from, from start to finish. I spoke to Henry Cejudo recently. He wants to come back, but he says that he needs the right price. They, they need to pay him the right amount of money. Why are they not able to offer him that money? To me, I think that if he has the chance to become a three-division champion against Alexander Volkanovsky, that's a huge fight. I, listen, I, everybody know me. Uh, I don't talk about business publicly. The business always discussed behind closed door because when you talk about business and money publicly, uh, nobody wins. You know, A lot of ego get involved, a lot of disagreement. Listen, I, did I, I, I feel Henry is the greatest comeback like athlete all the time. He think he worth this much money. It's, it's up to me and, and, and the promotion to figure out what he's worth, right? Uh, and every party have to agree and disagree. But listen, it's, a, it's, it's, it's just an opinion, right? But I just, I don't like to get this uh, money talk publicly. And this is not what I do. But I believe... Henry Soto is the greatest combat like athlete we ever seen. I want to see Henry Soto fight Floyd Mayweather. That's what I want to see. Well, that would be uh, that would certainly be interesting. That would certainly be a big money fight. Uh, one of my favorite fighters to watch, Zabit, has been out of action for a long time. When's Zabit coming back, and do you know who he's going to face yet? Zabit is, is dealing with some stuff right now. Like uh, he was, you know, uh, and uh, you know, he showed up four times. To fight this guy, what's his name? Yair. Yair, yeah. Yair did not show up four times. And it's a little bit discouraging, right? Yeah. After Ramadan, 
Zabit is going to give us what he wanted to do, and uh, and uh, and we're going to go from there, you know. Uh, and and I just uh, he just have to figure out what he want to do. He feel he deserved that that shot. I think he does, and I think we all of us as a team and with the UFC, we have to figure out what next for Zabit. But for now, it's nothing. How's Kamzat Shemaev's health doing? Uh, we've seen that he's had some health problems. He was brought to the U.S. for treatment, ended up flying back to Dagestan uh, or Chechnya. I can't remember which one. But uh, how's he doing? And why did he leave the the U.S. when they were going to give him treatment here? Uh, listen, he, if he was alone here, he, he didn't have anybody with him. You know, I was in and out traveling. I was not the best support system for him. Uh, I, you know, he went back to Chechnya. He got taken care of. He's very healthy now. He's back training last week. And... Um, we should hear some here very soon. He's probably going to fight end of July or August. Um, I talked to Sean Shelby, who's the UFC matchmaker, and uh, he's working on something for him. And finally, uh, Bilal Muhammad, was, uh, he fought Leon Edwards. That fight didn't go the right way for him. Uh, a huge opportunity for him. Of course, they've rebooked Leon Edwards, and now they've rebooked Bilal against Demian Maya. How important was it for Bilal to get a highly ranked fighter? Was that kind of a, a thing where you go to the UFC and say, listen, he took that Edwards fight. It was a big opportunity. We understand if you want to go in another direction with Edwards, but really we need to give Bilal a big fight. I think, uh, you know, it was Sean Shelby's decision. I, I spoke with him. I said, listen, he stepped in. And, and Sean is like, he went to reward him, right? And he rewarded him for stepping in, and he gave him a guy like Demi Maia, who's a legend, who's in the top 10. Uh, and I think Blood's going to go out there, and, and, and he's going to beat him, and, and he's going to show up uh, the whole world. He's not just a replacement. He, he is a worthy opponent in the top 10 or the top 5, right? And uh, it's just, uh, this is what it is, man. Blood will fight anybody. Like He's one guy, I can tell you now, he never turned down a fight. Never. Certain guys never turn down fight. Khabib, Kamaru, uh, Bilal, Kamza, it's, it's Frankie, Edgar. Like it's, I have, I have so many of these guys, right? And he's one of them. And he's for me, he's a he's a legend. In in my own little Ali's word, uh, Muhammad Bilal is a legend. He's a real fighter, uh, and he'll fight anybody, anytime, anybody. And I love the guy. It's, it's not one pure hearted out there than him. And he he have a dead heart. That mean he feel no, he's scared of no one. Yeah, you mentioned all the guys you have. That's the hardest thing about interviewing you. You got Edgar, you got Gastelum, you got uh, Ankalaev, you got Islam Makhachev. I can't keep you all day, but next time we'll catch up. We'll ask about more people. I appreciate your time and thank you for doing this. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. I'm now joined by the women's 155-pound champion, Olympic gold medalist, Kayla Harrison. And uh, we just actually had some breaking news come down in the world of PFL. June 10th, Clarissa Shields is making her debut against Brittany Elkin. Uh, had you seen who the opponent was in that news, and uh, what's your reaction to it? Um, no, I haven't. I, I didn't know that she was fighting Brittany Elkin, but I think that's a good first fight for her. I think it's, um, you know, I, we're, I think we're all excited to uh, see her debut. So should be interesting. Were you surprised that she wasn't in the tournament? No, no. I think that's a smart move on her part and on PFL's part. You know, they want to help build her and grow her. It's the same, same way they did with me, you know, um, ease her into the MMA world and then let her loose. Do you think that next year is a more realistic goal for her to be in the tournament? For sure. I mean, I think she has plenty of experience in boxing. 
obviously at the Olympic level and professional level. And I think a couple fights this year just to get used to all the aspects of MMA. And then I think she should be good to go for the tournament. So before we got this started, uh, we were talking about your kids, uh, eight-year-old and two-year-old, that are entering the bubble with you. Uh, so what, yeah. what, what's the plan? Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is no plan. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, due to circumstances, they're, I'm their guardian. They're my niece and nephew. Um, and I'm pretty much the only one that can take care of them. So I don't have uh, the luxury of having – I'm a single mom. Uh, so the kids are coming to the bubble with me and, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna make the most of it. You know, um, I feel like this is definitely going to be my biggest challenge yet as a parent, as a fighter, probably as a person, um, just in the sense that it's all new, it's all different. It's not, um, it's not super convenient. It's not, uh, ideal. Um, and I know that the PFL, you know, they made these decisions, the powers that be. I, I think that they're coming from a good place. I think that they have the fighters' best, um, their best hopes in, in place for the fighters. But I, I don't know that – I don't know. We're, it's going to be fine. We're going to be great. I've, <laughs> we've come to terms with it. There is, it is what it is, and um, it's going to be an adventure. So, th I mean, this is the strictest bubble I think we've seen in North American MMA – uh, what are the parameters of the bubble? It's, it's two weeks and then and you're not allowed to leave the premises? Is that what the deal is? It's 17 days. Um, and you're not allowed to leave the bubble. Um, and if your coaches don't come for the full 17 days, then you're not allowed to see your coaches until the night of the fight. Um, so I will be in the bubble with my training partner and the kids. Um, and then my coaches, my corner will show up um, 48 hours before the fight, they'll get tested and then I'll see them in the corner, um, in the locker room before the fight. So yeah, it's pretty strict. Um, you know, my mom, I mean, I don't want to talk, I don't want to be a negative Nancy, so I'm just gonna, it is what it is. And which training partner is coming with you? Um, his name's Anthony. Actually, I call him Mongoose, but I don't know what his last name is. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad they're letting a mongoose into the bubble that, that can't be safe i know that's what i'm saying what are they doing with that that's danger so are you allowed to bring anybody to help with with the kids while you're there um there's gonna be someone there yeah who's gonna help um but again it'll be i mean i figure this is what this is where i'm this my whole thing is like okay they're gonna they're gonna have security at all the entrance entrances to the bubble um, everyone there I know. So I'm just going to let the kids go. I'm just going to be like, all right, have fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Parents are going to be like, you're a terrible mom. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Aaron. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, um, I feel sorry for my opponent. I'll tell you that. Well, that's, that's probably a good way to look at it, uh, because it seems like you have some reservations about this whole situation. It's just not ideal. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's not an ideal yeah, situation I, for, for your situation. You, I don't wanna, I, uh, to be honest with you, it's all still um, 
I'm still coming to terms with it. You know, I was told a couple things and those things didn't pan out and I'm not here to point fingers or um, blame anyone or talk, um, talk bad about the promotion that's writing my paycheck. So my mom taught me, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say it. So I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to show up. I'm going to do my job and um, I'm going to prove to the world why I'm one of the best. Well, they say there's always darkness before there's light, and uh, a million-dollar light isn't a bad light. No, it's not a bad light at all, and um, I'm excited. I'm excited for the fight. I'm excited to get back in there and um, showcase my skills, showcase my growth. Um, it's just going to be a little bit different this time, that's all. So obviously things change in, in your career and uh, in your life when you become the guardian of two kids. How would you say yes. your priorities as an athlete have shifted uh, since this change in your life? Uh, I guess in comparison to when you started your mixed martial arts journey. Yeah. I mean, my life personally has just changed, um, a tremendous amount. You know, I went from it being all about me to (laughs) it not being all about me, which has been a blessing. Um, you know, I guess I didn't realize how empty my life was before I had the kids. Um, I would just wake up, train, eat, tan, train, repeat. (laughs) Um, and I think any parent can tell you that that is not how life goes when you have children. Um, it becomes much more, you know, you're a you're a, a chef and you're a taxi driver and you're a doctor and you're, um, you know, you have all these things that you're juggling while you're trying to make other things come come to fruition. Um, but it's just made me that much mo- more motivated. You know, it's just made me that much hungrier. It's it's made me realize. Um, what truly matters and what's important to me. And that's um, my family. And that's cementing my legacy as one of the best to ever do this sport. And that's it. You know, those are the two things that mean the most to me. And um, those are the two things that I put all of my energy and efforts into. There's no time for, um, you know, lollygagging around. I wake up every morning at six in the morning and I, uh, from 6 a.m. until 9 p.m., it's a grind. And I think that it makes me more dangerous, you know? It makes me even hungrier. It makes me, um, I know that I deserve to win. I know that I haven't skipped any steps. I know that I put in all the work. I know that nobody works harder than me. And um, that's why I'm going to be successful. Yeah, you know, I had the same kind of, kind of conversation with Robert Whitaker. Just, uh, they just had their fourth kid uh, in January. Oh. They have three boys and a girl. And, uh, he, you know, we were talking about how early in his career, he was in his early 20s when he, when he started with the UFC, how it was more about ego. Like, the priority was to just be the best, win the championship. Then once yeah. he won the championship, he realized that, you know, it was just kind of a, a piece of hardware to him. It, it wasn't all that mm-hmm. important. But the importance mm-hmm. for him beca- of being champion became the monetary reward of being the champion, of getting paid so much more money so that he could provide for his family. So, Oh, I mean, that's a huge part of being... You know, money has never motivated me personally, but being a parent, being in charge of someone else's life, you know, money's what makes the world go around. And let me tell you, kids ain't cheap. So, um, (laughs) yeah, that's a big factor. It's a big part of it. But I also just, um, you know, for me, it's about I want my kids to look up to me. I want to be a good role model to them. And I also want to ensure them that, they're the most important and precious thing in the world to me. Nothing matters more to me than them. So um, that's why I'm not going to leave them with a stranger for 17 days because I can't. And, you know, the courts wouldn't allow it, first of all. That's 
highly negligent and there's other personal things going on behind there. And, um, you know, this is just going to be the family business. I mean, I look at Jordan Burroughs, um, an Olympic wrestler for the United States, and he always brings his kids to his matches and tournaments and things like that. And I was really nervous about it. And I was kind of having some anxiety about having the kids come and just like, it's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stuff to deal with, but this is part of the job. You know, this is what I signed up for when I became their guardian. And, um, you know, life throws you curveballs and, and stuff happens and it is what it is. We're going to make it an adventure. We're going to make the most of it. And, um, I'm going to show them that not only do I love them, care for them and provide them, but I'm going to be the best in the world while, while I do it. And I, I think back, you know, my whole life has been, um, it's been a series of obstacles, right? Everyone's life. You know, we all have roadblocks. We all have things that get in our way. We all have struggles. And, you know, I was really bitter and I was really angry and I was really frustrated and I was really holding on to that um, for a long time here because I didn't get to fight and now I have to, I get to fight, but it's all this stuff. And I was thinking back on my life and it's like, first world problems, Kayla, like, oh, you poor thing. Like you have to go fight for millions of dollars, um, and take your two kids with you. Like I was 16 and broke and like having to fight in Estonia with no coaches and not speaking the language and $5 in my bank account. Like things could be way worse. And, um, I've overcome way, way bigger things than this. And, you know, we're just going to, it is what it is. I'm excited. I'm going to enjoy the moment, enjoy the process. And I look forward to fighting and um, it's going to be good. You know, that's have such an interesting roadmap too. You know, I, I was doing some research for this and read an, an article from 2016, which I guess is five years ago, where you were interviewed and said, I don't know if I'm cut out for mixed martial arts. I don't know if this is the thing I want to do. I, I don't know if that world is for me. You know, I, I, I don't want to be talking trash about people. I, that, this doesn't seem like something I'm cut out for. And now here we are. I know. Well, I would like to say um, those things still hold tr hold true. You know, I'm not cut out for talking trash. I mean, if you go to ATT, everyone at the gym is going to say she's full of crap. Like all she does is talk, talk trash. <laughs> um, but that's all in a friendly, you know, camaraderie type of way. But I, I would like to say that I've done MMA my way. You know, I, I've stayed the course. I've stayed true to myself. I've stayed true to my judo background and my Olympic ideals. And um, I try to approach every fight and everything I do in the business with integrity and um, with my morals intact. And, um, you know, I think that that's also a part, big part of why I'm successful is because I stay true to who I am. And that's also why MMA is hard, you know, because it's not um, it's a business and there's a lot of money involved and promoters care about the promotion and um not necessarily, not everyone necessarily has your best interest in heart or um, is true to their word. It's it, it's just like everything else in life. And I think that um, who I am, keep a positive attitude and go out and do what I love and get paid to do it. You know, that that's it. That's That's my job, to go out, to fight, to win, to make money and to give my kids a good life. That's my job. That's how I'm going to approach it. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try and do it with, you know, as the true Kayla, not as some trash talker, not as some um, diva or whatever. I'm just, it. I don't know. It is what it is.
I'm here to fight. That's it. So in the, sp in the spirit of staying true to yourself, if your goal when you entered the sport is to be the greatest to ever do it, can you do that in the PFL? Can you, can you fight exclusively in the PFL for the rest of your career and walk away with people saying Kayla Harrison is the best female mixed martial artist of all time? Why are you asking the hard questions? <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> um, at this moment in time, I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's again, it's a tough question. The other, the other part of the equation is that the person that I think is the consensus greatest women's martial artist of all time is the teammate of yours. Of course, we all know who the greatest of all time is. It's not, it's not up for debate. Um, <laughs> it's not like a, it's a fact at this point. You know, she is the greatest. And, um, you know, if you want to be the greatest, you have to either surpass what she did or, or you have to fight her. Um, and right now that's not on the, you know, that's, she has her path. I have mine. We've, I've talked about this so many times. I'm so sick of it. Um, and I like Amanda. I aspire to be like Amanda. I, um, have so much respect for her. So you know, my goal is to just continue to get better, continue to, to rack up wins, continue to to stay the course and be worthy of challenging that someday, hopefully. Yeah. And I mean, has, is there any sort of underlying tension? The reason why I ask that is because every competitor says, I want to be the best at this. I, I want to be the greatest of all time. <laughs> and I think few of them believe it. And I think few of them are believed. But you are one of the people that I believe when you say you want to be the greatest of all time, that A, you can do it, and B, you believe it. Yeah, I think, um, well, I hope people believe it, but if they don't, then <laughs> just sit back and watch, enjoy the show. Um, no, I don't think there's any tension. Listen, like, I also come from, there's no tension for me. You know, I come from a very different background. Like, a month before the Olympics, I was in France training with the girl who I fought in the finals of the Olympics. Like, it's not you know, we were having dinner together. It's not, um, it's not personal. And like I said, I really like Amanda. I think she's a great champion. I think she's a great person. I've loved watching her become a mom. You know, she comes to the gym always with a smile on her face. Um, there's just not one bad thing I could say about her. So there's, and also Nina, like I saw Nina in the gym, like friggin' right after she popped out a baby training hard, pushing herself. Like it's just, you know, they are good people and, and I respect good people and I, I have nothing but good things to say about them. So there's no tension for me. And I hope that there never is, you know, I hope that it, if we ever fight, if that day ever comes, you know, it's done in the true spirit of martial arts and it's done with a lot of respect. And, um, we go out there and we put on a hell of a show and we both make a lot of money, you know, because I think people are starting to talk about it. And I think people are, um, I don't know, I guess excited for it. And I hope that we make it both, that we both make it worthwhile for both people, for fans and for ourselves, if it ever happens, you know, if it's a big, if it's a long way away, I'm still in a different organization. She's the greatest of all time. I, I'm still building and growing as a fighter. So it's a big, if I'm excited that people are excited about it, but you know, that's not my focus right now. Do you think that being an Olympian helped teach you about the spirit of competition in a way that other people that don't have that experience 
will never understand. Like, you know, like I think that when, when it comes to the Olympics, there's such a, a purity in terms of the competition. There's not, there's, not, there's not the same kind of animosity that goes into it. It's more just about skills. You know, so, yeah. so few people get to be in that environment. Do you think that that helps you in comparison to others that haven't experienced that? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I grew up very wide-eyed and in awe of the Olympics and everything it stands for and everything it does. And I think that judo also is very, um, it just teaches you a different type of, I don't know, respect. The first thing you do in a judo match is you bow to your opponent to show respect, to give thanks and to say you're ready. So for me, um, of course I always want to win. That's, you know, that is innate. That's inside of me. That's something I can't control. Like I'm, I'm the, mom that doesn't let her kid beat her at uno, you know, like I just always want to win. I can't help it. It's I'm, there's something wrong with me, but you know, to stay humble in victory and graceful in defeat is something that I had to learn along the way, especially through the Olympics. I'm fortunate that I never lost on the Olympic stage, but I've lost more times than I can count, you know, in my judo career. And I've had to face defeat and I've had to, to taste that. And I think that that makes you humble. It keeps you hungry it's been my fuel for a very long time. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I can't imagine, I can't imagine it being any other way, but for sure the Olympics has taught me, um, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And you have to respect both of those. For your next PFL fight, do you think that the restrictions are going to have, um, I guess have changed in terms of how they're running their events? Like, not this upcoming one, but the one after it. I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm not in charge, that's for sure. Who do you think is going to be the toughest test for you in this tournament uh, this time around? Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get to, the, to get to the tournament to have the women all have their first fights just to see, get a, bit, a little bit better of an idea of of what's going on with, uh, with all of the women. I think that again, Larissa is going to be a very formidable opponent. I think people underestimate her just because of her UFC career. Um, but she was 19 and she was fighting killers. And I think this weight class is well suited to her. I think this, the, um, the style of the promotion is well suited to her. And I see her being, you know, a top dog again. Do you know why Sarah Kaufman's not in this uh, year's tournament? I know that last year when she was in it, the, it was almost a foregone conclusion that you were going to face her in the in the final. It didn't play out that way, but uh, why isn't she in this year's tournament, uh, to your knowledge? I don't know. I haven't. Um, we're not like friends or anything, so I'm not sure. Uh, I didn't ask. I didn't. I don't know. Probably, uh, I think, you know, just one. She, she, I know that we um, when the season was canceled last year, I tried to get a fight with her. Um, just a one-off, but she said that she's fighting 135, like where she, she said that's where she belongs. So maybe the weight class was just not ideal for her. I think she tried it and felt like maybe this isn't for me. Yeah, it's a big jump. I imagine she probably walks around that maybe even under 155 pounds. So to uh, yeah, compete no, that I've weight is her, tough. You know, she's like 150 something pounds. I mean, she's not, she's not big. So it makes sense. All right. Well, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, best of luck in the tournament. Hopefully they do ease those restrictions a little bit uh, for the sake of your sanity. <laughs> and uh, we, look, we look forward to seeing what you're able to put together this year. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's good talking to you. 
I'm now joined by Gerald Mearshart, who will be facing Bartosz Wawinski this weekend at UFC Fight Night. But uh, your wife, about to have a kid, going to have a kid in the coming weeks, and you got to make sure that you get in and out of there. So are you hoping for a first-round finish, get on a flight, get home? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, I, I can't guarantee that'll happen, obviously. Everybody in the UFC is tough, but uh, I'm going to try and get in there and, you know, get to my business and get out as soon as I possibly can. So when are you scheduled to fly home? Uh, kind of a later flight. The, the only direct ones and uh, even the ones that had layovers, none of them really got back that early, especially going back as a time change. So I won't even be home till in the evening. So hopefully, you know, he waits you know, to make his appearance till I get back. Or, or if he does start coming out, he waits till that morning or something so I can still make it back in time. Yeah, this is your first child, too, so you want to be there for it. You know, you always execute uh, at your best when you're, you know, you're, you're pushed and your back's against the wall. That's how, always how you've, you've done it in the fight game. So is that why you took the fight right when your wife was, was due to give birth? You, you like, you like the, the risk? You know, I wish... I didn't operate that way all the time necessarily, but I guess in this business, it's not a bad quality to have. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to like a fight before everything, you know, the baby was supposed to come and all that, but it just happened that it, you know, it's pretty close and it works out somewhat well. You know, if it was a little bit earlier, I wouldn't have been opposed to it, but you know, the, this is the most time I could have possibly had to prepare and as close as I possibly could have gotten to the baby getting here without, you know, really cutting it close so uh yeah hopefully he waits because it, it could be technically any day now but um he's not due till a couple weeks after i'm back so you know knock everything out get a hopefully get a win maybe get a bonus maybe break a record get home get to see the new baby and i'll be riding on cloud nine but first i gotta get through fight week and i gotta <laughs> i gotta get through this fight so had the talk go with your wife. Brian Butler gives you a call, says, "Hey, we've got a date. It's uh, you know towards the end of April. Uh, do you want to take the fight? Do you have to talk to her and say, listen, are you cool with this? Because we're not right there. I mean, you're you're due, I guess, in May. We're what mid-April, so you you're not you're not cutting it that close." Yeah, she was she was cool that she was like, you know, especially if you're going to get one in, better to get one in before the baby gets here, and you know, help offset some of the costs of, uh, you know, just the hospital bills and all that, because you know. In the U.S., we got a little bit different pay structure than you guys up north there, so it's a little more expensive to have a baby. So that'll help. Yeah, the, the only thing we need to pay for is the room upgrade. If we want to, like, if we want to have a private or semi-private room, which, much of which is covered by our insurance providers, regardless, that's like that's the only question that us as Canadians have to deal with when we're about to go and uh, and give birth. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> we got a lot more than that. <laughs> so I'll just leave that at that. Well, like you said, hopefully this offsets some of the bills. Hopefully you uh, walk away with two paychecks, your, your, your show and win. Uh, but in this case, Bartosz Wawinski, very good fighter, but his best path to victory for most of his fights is to take their opponent down. When you're the opponent, that's not necessarily the best move. Yeah, I think his, uh, his strengths play into my strengths perfectly and you know almost make them weaknesses. And on top of that, he has been submitted before and is susceptible to guys that are, you know, jujitsu oriented and on top of that my wrestling's not half bad either uh you know a lot of people talk about um uh, kevin holland recently had trouble with the wrestling but i was really the first guy to hit a ton of takedowns on him the only difference was i constantly hunted for the finish and kept going for submissions i didn't just lay in guard and wasn't lazy about it because i you know I, I look for finishes in my fights you know to a fault 
but in this case, you know, I think my wrestling is just as good as his, uh, as far as like being stubborn and knowing the different places to be. And I think my anti-wrestling, if I want to, and I really want my P's and Q's, I can keep it on the feet with Fabinski. And if he does take me down, like he said, then he's in my world. Now he's got to deal with me trying to throw up submissions. And I haven't seen anything from him on top. That's like crazy other than he's just really good at being technically sound with the basics and just not giving up on stuff. Like if he gets in on something, you have to make him physically let go and separate completely or like turn it into something against him or the way he just won't let go. You see some people, they get it on a takedown or a leg and they'll kind of like, ah, I don't feel it there. He doesn't care. He gets a hold of you. He's going to drive until he gets you to the mat. And that's a very, you know, good quality, especially if your game's going to be wrestling. But for me, it's like, yeah, if, if you take me down, now you got to deal with me trying to choke you. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. He used to fight at 170, did he not? Like more, like somewhat recently. Yeah, I don't know how recent it was, but I know he has some fights at 170. I think he has one or two UFC fights at 170, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know if it was a, a weight cut thing or if he thought he could take more fights. Um, you know, as you get older in the sport, especially if you're like a bigger in your weight class, it gets harder and harder to cut weight. I'm kind of fortunate that I'm, you know, I'm not uh, the smallest 85er, but I'm not, you know, at the upper end of it either. So I've always been, you know, making weight isn't going to hurt me physically. So I don't know if that, that was the case, but yeah, he's not, I think I'll have a size advantage, I guess, in this fight, uh, length-wise and just weight-wise. And against him, you think your best path is to go for the submission? I mean, if, if he tries to attack with wrestling, you could just attack with subs, whether you're doing it on the feet with chokes or on the ground with, you know, an, an array of, uh, of submission attacks that you've shown in the past. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely going to try and hit him a lot in the face. <laughs> that's, that's always going to help the submissions anyway, right? So, you know, I think he's really, really tough. I don't expect to, like, knock him out, especially because I'm not, you know, known to do that. I have some knockouts and stuff like that, and I'm definitely going to try and hurt him. I'm going to try and hit him as hard as I possibly can. But I think just his positioning and his toughness, you know, he's going to eat a lot of shots to get to where he wants. The hope is that I disrupt that so much or make him second guess it enough to leave something open that I can take advantage of in the submission department and to, you know, not just anti-wrestle as far as like not let you do what you want to do, but counter-wrestle and counter-grapple to take advantage of what I'm given. Now, the odds makers, I don't know if it's the odds makers or the betting public, they've made you the underdog in this situation. Uh, I feel like they don't remember how good you are. Would you agree with that? Do you think the last fight is playing into this this betting line? Oh, for sure. I, you know, a lot of the that stuff is based on numbers and what you've done recently, and especially the sport of MMA in general, right? It's like, what have you done lately? Uh, well, lately, I've absolutely sucked, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, and, like, you know, that's on nobody but me. However, um, you know, I don't expect anybody to believe anything that I say, you know, just because it really doesn't matter, right? It's what you see in the octagon. But the way I feel right now, the way I've gotten time to prepare, uh, the way that, you know, everything's been firing on all cylinders, I feel absolutely great. And I feel like the matchup adds into all of that where it's like best case scenario for me right now. Yeah, it seems like every week I was, I was saying to myself, I got to book Gerald. He's got a fight coming up. He's got a fight. Like, this fight's been booked for a long time. Is this the longest fight camp you've had? Yeah, this is definitely the longest fight camp I've had. 
not only for the UFC, but definitely in my career that like I've known about a fight and I've had time to prepare for it. So like I said, I got time, you know, obviously I had basically had two concussions back to back. I got all that checked out and made sure I was good. Uh, I got right back to my strength and conditioning and cardio stuff, you know, lightly to make sure I kept everything healthy, but I got to build that base and like get my body strong and resilient and then slowly ease my way back into training. So all the little lingering injuries were gone and I fixed little things here and there as far as, you know, what muscles uh, needed to be strengthened up to just handle the workload and everything else. And then really focus on the technique and focus on a game plan and work, work the things that I need to work specifically for this fight. So it's been really, really nice. How long did it take for you to make peace with the last fight? I mean, obviously it didn't go your way and you know, a lot of people have, I mean, they share the highlight because it wasn't a very long fight, but how long did it take you to, to make peace with that particular fight? Uh, I mean, not that long, you know, there's not much you can do about it after it happens. I mean, I'd be lying if I say, and I wasn't, you know, a little sour about it for, you know, a while, but it's not like anything that I think I let affect my daily life. I mean, it definitely sucked that, you know, those first couple days and like even a couple weeks in where it was like, man, that really, that, that really, really sucks. But, you know, it's life. I had other stuff going on to keep me occupied and, you know, you just make the best of it. There's, I don't have a time machine, you know, what it could have, should have, but I can either think about it and be sad or I can just suck it up and get better. Do you think about it a lot though? I mean, not necessarily, you know, in, in a way that would make you sad, but do you, do you play it back in your mind and think, you know, I, I could have done, could have done this or anything along those lines uh, on like a regular basis? No, not at all. I mean, Pretty much after it happened, you know, I, I knew right away, like, what I could have done and maybe what I should have done. But, like I said, that doesn't really pay to think about that. If anything, a valuable lesson I did take away from it, though, is, like, up to the point of those first two fights, I hadn't really been uh, rocked like that, really in any fight, let alone a UFC fight. And I mean, I had fought Tiago Santos, and that dude was beating me about the head and shoulders. And even in that fight, I was like still conscious. And I was sitting there wondering, why am I conscious right now? This behemoth is beating the tar out of me. Like, how am I still awake? And then I have these two fights back to back. The first one, you know, with Heinish, I was like, okay, I kind of made a bad call. He he faked me out. He caught me. I didn't see it coming, whatever. And then the second one, it's like, man, I had to remind myself, like, look, it's four-ounce gloves. It doesn't matter who you think is tough or not, or who you think has power or not, they're four ounce gloves. Anyone can knock you out, especially if you don't have your head on straight in there. And I think that was a big part of it too, is just being present in the fight. Uh, as far as like, I know sometimes I'm quote unquote, kind of a slow starter, but just like practicing and training, like being mentally on and just being aware of everything and like kind of letting go and just opening up or getting to a spot, like even if you're uncomfortable, like just do something. Don't wait for something to happen to you because when you wait, bad shit happens. Now with uh, this particular fight, who's going to be in your corner? Because the Rufus Sport team is pretty busy this weekend. You got Ben Askren uh, boxing against Jake Paul. You got Pettis in the PFL bubble. I imagine one of the the Rufus brothers or or uh, you know Duke Cushman, somebody's there with him. Who's who's there with you? Basically, is the question. So I'll have uh, Cushman coming to join me for the fight later in the week. But right now I got Jordan Newman and JP St. Louis with me. So they'll be with me all week uh, helping me train to get ready. And then, like I said, I'll bring in the big guns and have Cush come on uh, pretty much get here Thursday. He'll quarantine.
be here uh, Friday and then be here for fight night. Well, with Fabinski, like I mentioned, he's got good wrestling, but I don't think he has Jordan Newman wrestling. How valuable has he been to your camp? Oh, it's been great. You know what I mean? I got to work with Newman a lot, especially because he had a fight not too long ago, so I was helping him get ready for that. And, like, yeah, like you said, uh, Fabinski's wrestling is nothing compared to Newman's wrestling. I mean, Newman is not only a high-level wrestler, but he's just got a wide variety of attacks. And, like, where Newman will start on something, he's got six different places he could take it. Fabinski's going to start at something, and he's got one of two finishes, and he's just going to kind of drive in and grind. So I know if I can deal with Newman and have him be, you know, give me the same look, obviously, and be stubborn on a couple of spots, but if I can deal with Newman, I can deal with anybody. And I keep telling, like, people don't understand how strong that guy is. Like, it's a whole different thing. He is, like, of all the people I've trained with, he is, like, in the upper one percentile of like strongest freak of freak of nature strong grappling wise ever like it it doesn't make sense how strong he is especially because he's not like a heavyweight or anything like he's a he's a middleweight and he doesn't even weigh that much for a middleweight but man i'm telling you that dude gets a hold of you uh like his last fight he fought a guy that used to fight a heavyweight you could tell once he grabbed that guy that guy was like what is going on right now <laughs> so yeah I, I was very invaluable for this camp and i should be just fine and what kind of success rate do you have against Newman? I mean, like, you can be honest with me here, because like you said, Newman is a better wrestler than Fabinski, but how often is he getting the better of you? Uh, as far as getting takedowns goes, it depends on uh, if I can, like, land some punches first or, like, if I see it coming. Because, like, you know, takedowns is all about the setup. So if I see it coming, I might stop, you know, got a pretty good success rate stopping the first maybe two attacks. But when he starts getting to his third through sixth attack, because it's never just one shot, it's a shot to a couple different things, then my percentage drops significantly. <laughs> so, so like I said, I can stop his first three. Usually I'll be okay against most people in the world. That's probably good, though. I imagine that it's good to have uh, somebody push you like that. And I'm sure that when you're on the ground with him, you're throwing subs up at him, and it's valuable information for him to, uh, to, to take in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it goes both ways. Because, like, you know, once I get down there, depending on the position we're in, there's only so much you're going to be able to do to get up, right? So it's like, okay, I'm just going to have to try to submit you and then maybe get you to freak out and run away from me. But otherwise, it's kind of a losing battle. And how often do you get him, would you say? If you're even allowed to show ah! I don't know. I don't know about the gym the gym code. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we go back and forth a lot. He's really good. Uh, but I'll just, just for this coming fight, I'll say, like, I, I usually got pretty good success rate stopping the first couple attempts, but that's just the first couple... And not attempt, like, I stuff a shot, he shoots again, I stuff a shot. I mean, like, he shoots, and then there's a reshot, and a reshot, and a reshot, and to something else. So, like, I can stop the first couple parts of the chain wrestling, but then after that, it's when I have trouble. But, yeah, all the other stuff, like, you know, he's, he's a good, young, strong fighter, and, you know, he gives me everything I can handle. Well, speaking of high-level wrestlers, Ben Askren, uh, as high-level as I guess in that department, is doing a boxing match. This weekend. So why is Jake? Why is Jake Paul going to lose to Ben Askren? because uh, he's not actually a fighter, and he's only had two fights against guys that also aren't fighters. So, you know, he's never really. I'm sure they haven't given him anybody that actually gives him any trouble, right? They they made a big deal about him sparring a 155 pound MMA fighter. You know what I mean? And like, who knows how that went? But like, that just goes to show you if they're 
like talking about that. They're either having boxers come in that, you know, quote unquote boxers that they know he can beat, or they're having guys come in to kind of like help him get ready. Uh, Ben has been training, you know, when he was with us for a long time, training with strikers that are pretty, pretty good trying to like clean his clock all the time and sparring. Cause you know, as soon as you get taken down, it's going to be, you're pretty much going to be on the mat for the rest of the time. And if he can handle that just fine, you know what I'm saying? I don't see what he's going to do. And like, yeah, there's no takedowns in boxing, but you can still clinch and you can still get inside and you can still tie somebody up. So yeah, I think he's going to, swing his arms out, get real tired, and uh, Ben's going to catch him with some punches that are a lot harder than people would expect, especially coming from Ben, and he's going to start rethinking his life choices. Well, I think this is the thing that people don't talk about with Ben. And, I mean, we, we know how good his wrestling is, obviously, and, and we've seen him in stand-up against mixed martial artists that have been training for 10, 20 years. I mean, Demian Maia has probably been training striking for 25 years. But... I think a lot of people discount the fact that he must have been working on his striking for years and years with Biggie Rhodes, with Anthony Pettis, with a lot of really high-level strikers at Rufus Sport. How, how often was he actually doing stand-up, like just strictly striking over the course of his years? Because we saw his striking looking somewhat rudimentary, but again, against top-level mixed martial artists. Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, at least twice a week, if not three times a week, there are situations where, like, when we would drill, it would have to be just stand up and even then right like uh a lot of the time when we would do those stand-up drills like i said he'd be clinching getting in close holding on to you and you know damian maya maybe you don't want to get well he wanted to get as close but you know damian made him shoot in whereas like this case jake paul's only gonna be able to run so much it's a four post ring it has corners you can get cornered in a boxing ring right and eventually, well, not even eventually, I think uh, Jake's going to try and, like, get close to him. And when he does that, he doesn't know how to gauge his distance as well as Ben does. Ben just ties him up, muffles all his punches. You know what I mean? you got to stand there and decide to just swing big overhands, or you can step in and tie up with the guy because Ben's not going to try and pretty box him. And as long as you keep stepping to each other, you know, you're good. And again, two boxing fights in, you're not going to be that good at stepping back and punching at the same time that's a pretty high level thing to be able to do so yeah i don't see any of that being a problem and i mean the guys that he's beating uh, they're, they're not people that have been in there that that know how to tire someone out that know how to uh you know jump through the fire that ben has got all that experience from from years and years of training but but i've noticed i think jake paul at least at one part, point in time was a two-to-one favorite i think he's still the favorite does that boggle your mind like when you think about all of the training that ben's done for years and years and years against a guy who's just you know stake the claim as being on youtube yeah that's surprising i might uh have to get on one of these betting sites and put some money down on that i didn't know it was that big of an underdog it was at one point in time i can pull it up right now I, because uh yeah i was i was very surprised by that also because like like we just discussed i mean we're talking about somebody with with real box yeah jake paul's a minus 170 favorite ben is plus 150 wow well, no one ever accused people on the internet of being smart. <laughs> well, you could do a, a Gerald Mearshart and Ben Askren parlay if, if you know, if you want to do the the old Rufus board parlay. Yeah, there you go. I'm <laughs> sure they got a uh, cross promotional bets like that. So, uh, are you planning on watching the fight? Like, you know, you you fight fight ends. You do your media. Are you planning on just going to the ho- back to the hotel and watching it? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, we can't do anything really anyway, so yeah, I'll probably come back here, order some pizza or something, and yeah, pull up, uh, pull up Ben's fight and watch it. What time are you fighting? What time is he fighting? Do you, do you know offhand? Uh, I know him on the prelims, and the prelims start at 4, so, you know, 5-ish, probably, 6 at the latest, and then, I mean, I can't imagine he's going to be, well, he's fighting in Atlanta, but even then, I can't imagine it'd be any later than, like, or earlier, I should say, any earlier than, like, 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock my time, probably. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, and you'll be, you'll be back at the hotel by then, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, for sure. Unless I book, like, a post-fight interview with you and you, we just drag it on. We go, like, you know, full-on <laughs> Jurassic Park two-and-a-half-hours type, uh, type deal. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> I don't know if I could interview anybody for that long. Just a full marathon interview. I mean, you'd be one of the guys I might be able to because we, we have good chemistry. When we talk, I can ask you lots of questions. Right. You, you give me good, thoughtful answers, but uh, I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, I, we were probably going to some weird areas that would be like, okay, this isn't an MMA interview anymore. Now we're just talking about like uh, the discography of German disco punk bands. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ask you to uh, to re reaffirm that you think that 50 Cent is better than DMX today. I mean, that would be in bad taste. Oh, come on. That's a low blow. <laughs> I'm walking out to DMX this weekend. Oh, are you? Is, is, is oh, that yeah. because we did the, the uh, uh, various Mere Shardists and uh, one of... Which, which DMX album did we do? Do you remember? I think it was I It's, it's Dark and Hell, so I think it was the first one. Did we? I, well, I, I just remember talking about it and then you were trying to stack up the 50 Cent albums against the DMX ones. And your, your claim was that clearly the DMX albums were better than the 50 Cent albums which you made a pretty compelling case for, but I don't remember which DMX one we picked specifically. Yeah, for, it had to have been one of the first three. The first three are, uh, are the best of the best for, for DMX. So which, which song are you coming uh, out to? Uh, What's My Name. All right. I was going to say, uh, what, what's that song where it goes, you know, Let's Get That Money. That would be a good, uh, a good song if you want to get a bonus. You just come out to that song. I don't want to jinx it, though. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like you're playing with fire there. Yeah, that was like when Dan Ige changed his nickname to 50K and couldn't get a bonus. He just got one recently, so that, that jinx has been broken, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So when do you want to fight again after this? Do you, do you want to just enjoy time with the baby and not think about fighting for the rest of 2021? Mm, I don't know about the rest of 2021, but definitely want to take some time and, you know, probably... Well, I mean, I guess we'll see how, you know, what happens and how I feel after this, right? But, uh... I mean, I feel great now, even if everything goes 100% according to plan. I think, uh, well, I know we're going to have a lot of other guys fighting too, so that's kind of factors into into everything. But um, I think, you know, I fought a lot in 2020, and it did not necessarily go my way. I think, like, the six, five, six-month time frame would be ideal, but, you know, that's just me talking right now before everything happens. It's got to see how everything shakes out first, see if, you know, there's any opportunities that present themselves that, you know, where I could kind of jump the line, so to speak, or get a really good stylistic matchup on short notice or something. So that'll all factor into it. But, you know, if you're asking me right now today to what would be rose-colored glasses, best case scenario, probably like five or six months. 
and you're lucky. You train close to home, so you've probably got family that can help uh, your wife out if you do have to to take a road trip. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, my parents are like 15 minutes away, so it's really nice. Do you have a name picked out? Or are we gonna get a GM4? <laughs> yeah, I got. I will. I'll leave the name uh, for now until we get closer. But no, no G's. No, no more G's as of yet. We'll save that for the next one. You're breaking. You're breaking the Gerald Mearshart uh, chain at this point in time. Just, just for now, we might keep it going. So, so see, I'm I'm Jewish, and in Judaism, we don't have like we don't name kids after ourselves. But so you can name somebody that's not your first. Like if you have another son, that can be Gerald Mearshart the fourth, and you could have your older son would have a different name. That's like a normal thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it would be after me, right? It would be after, like, my grandfather and my great-grandfather. Because, well, I guess for... My grandpa was named after my great-grandpa, so he had a kid that he named after himself. But I would be naming him after them. He would just still have to be the fourth because I'm the third. So it would be kind of a homage, if you will, to my forebears. Well, you'll have to register the real GM4 in advance just so nobody snags it. No, don't get any ideas if you're watching this interview. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to get on that domain name real quick. <laughs> All right, Gerald. Thanks for doing this. Best of luck against Bartosz Fabinski. Always love speaking with you. Hey, I appreciate it, Aaron. Good talking to you. A huge thank you to all of our guests, Robert Whitaker, Kelvin Gastelum, Kayla Harrison, Ali Abdelaziz, and Gerald Mearshart. And thank you to you, the listener. Always appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Go on iTunes, wherever you get this podcast. Give us a five-star review or whatever the highest star denomination you can give is. And uh, leave us a nice review. We always appreciate it. We don't ask for much in return for uh, all of this content. Uh, this is the one thing that I uh, would appreciate. So help the show and uh, helps us to continue to produce this kind of content for you to enjoy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more fantastic interviews, including Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.